Welcome in the name of Christ. God's grace, mercy and peace be with you. And also with you. Welcome to this chapel of Our Lady Undercroft here in Canterbury Cathedral for this Sunday service, for the fourth Sunday of Lent, Mothering Sunday. My name is Jonathan Arnold and I lead the Communities and Partnerships team in the Diocese of Canterbury, which is focused on living out our faith through community engagement, social justice and care for our environment. And today the theme of our service is justice as encounter. At this time of conflict, war and famine, our world cries out for justice and we pray for mothers and children and families fleeing from their homeland of Ukraine because of violent aggression. Through scripture, prayer, music and stories of lives lived courageously and generously in the service of God and of one another. In this service, we're going to explore what it means to encounter justice in our world today and to find reconciliation and healing.
sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Let us come to the Lord who is full of compassion and acknowledge our transgressions in penitence and faith. God of mercy, we, we acknowledge that, that we are all sinners. sinners. We turn from the wrong that we have thought and said and done, and are mindful of all that we have failed to do. For the sake of Jesus, who died for us, forgive us for all that is past, and help us to live each day in the light of Christ our Lord. Amen. May Almighty God have mercy upon us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Encounter with another human being on a meaningful level is often transformative and when we intentionally make the effort to get to know another, perhaps a stranger or someone different to us, we often learn and change and grow and adapt and become more understanding we're going to hear from two of our officers in Communities and Partnerships who encounter justice and see the reconciling face of Christ through their work every day. David and Domenica. So my name is Domenica Piporaro and I'm the refugee officer for Kent, for Kent Diocese. So we do provide um, support to families who have been forcibly displaced for their homes. We do have drop-ins for Afghan families. We have employment support and English classes, all delivered from our churches. We work with the National Church on community sponsorship. Um, we work with the local authorities, uh, central government, on issues regarding uh, asylum and migration. Um, and, yeah, at the moment we're just looking at putting together a training um, that could be available to um, people who are called to serve refugees in our parishes. Today we've been delivering um, our drop-in uh, service for African families who are in Brinjin hotels in Canterbury. We do provide um, traditional African refreshment and an opportunity for a chat, as well as uh, we provide anything that they, people need, from shoes to toys, books, clothes. Take up uh, and um, dictionaries, uh, anything that you know could just uh, address their immediate needs. Hello, I'm David Hartwell, a member and supporter of the Christian charity Collecting Canterbury, helping people in need and talking and listening to their problems in Canterbury. We're based at two church hubs alongside our colleagues offering food and clothing on Thursday and Friday mornings. We originally set up as a branch of Ken Savers Credit Union, offering people information on safe and responsible saving and borrowing, away from loan sharks. But in recent years, we found increasingly that people now have got no cash to even save or invest. And so thanks to Christians and churches in Canterbury, We've created a seed fund to help people buy small emergency grants for heating, power and such like there. 
And then for larger grants, we will turn to the Christian charity Acts 435 to buy items like washing machines, fridges and cookers. And last year we made over 50 such grants to people in need. One person has allowed me to tell you his story. A person who's got severe issues, a single man, housebound, with great health issues and mental problems there, in need of an electric bed. We found one from a friend and a colleague which we could buy second-hand, so a grant from Axe. And then to other friends, we arranged collection, delivery, installation, and also servicing of the bed too. And the person was so thrilled, they wrote to me, and his words were, I am so happy that I can look forward to a good night's sleep of sleeping on my settee for many years. The kindness you have shown me can't be measured. I absolutely can't tell you how much of a life changer this is for me. God bless you all. Thank you. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has come, has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the three passes against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Encountering justice and reconciliation can sometimes mean having a sublime encounter with the risen Christ in a dramatic and personal way. We're going to hear now from Tony and how his life transformed from the brink of suicide to new life. From an early age, I was taken into care. I tried my best to hide, and I tried to escape it, but every day it was about waiting for the abuse to start. She wanted me to believe I was rubbish, pretty soon I was believing her. She made me believe that everything was my fault, and I was just a bad kid. I told lies and no one would believe me, she said. There was no point in being afraid of the abuse anymore, because it was going to happen anyway. So I'd just stay in the corner and hold my breath, because then she wouldn't be able to see me. Well, that's what I thought anyway. Even as a young boy, there was always something about danger. 
and something about getting my own back on a grown-up world that I couldn't really trust. That really attracted me. Even when later adopted, I struggled to become a part of that family. I was doing my own thing now, and I thought I was the man. But really, I was that same lost little boy. But by now, this was fast becoming the only life I knew. As the years rolled on, I just fell deeper and deeper into the new life I'd built. Prison was almost like a second home. What began as a low-level cannabis dealing soon became more and more serious. Pretty good at sniffing out the opportunities as they came along. So pretty soon I was moving up to bigger things. Bigger deals, harder drugs, taking more risks. I was pretty good at it. I went wherever the opportunity took me. Wherever there's money to be earned. Life seemed good. Or so I thought. But it didn't stay that way. It seemed like every time I built myself a new world, I just wanted to escape from it again. Only this time, I was coming to the end of the road. By now I was homeless. This was my life. And I'd had enough of it. So I went back to the one place that was familiar. The one place that felt safe. Prison. Prison didn't offer me the escape that I thought it would. My lifestyle and years of homelessness had left me pretty vulnerable. For the first time, I'd just become the weak one. And knowing that put me into a really dark place. I decided that I was going to take my own life. I was going to show the world how angry I was. Because I was sick of all of it. And that was when it happened. Before me there were suddenly two figures. One was my adopted mother and the other one, and even though I didn't know who it was, there was something telling me that this was Jesus Christ. Then my adopted mother said to me, Tony, don't you see you've been given everything? I thought, what do you mean everything? I've got nothing. Look at my life. My life is a mess. I've lost everything. I couldn't believe I was hearing it. 
Jesus opened my eyes. He began to show me exactly what I'd been given. For the first time in my life, my eyes were opened and I saw that I'd been given something that was really precious. I'd been given so much. I'd been loved. I saw all of it. I tried to shut the door and all of it. I was so angry with the world. And now I was trying to shut the door on life itself. But as I sat there, just being there in his presence, I've never felt more alive. When I look back on that moment now, I just can't believe it happened. Because it just changed everything. My life has meaning, you know, and my life has purpose. To capture that moment where you are in the presence of God, I wish you could bottle that because that is like nothing else you've ever experienced before. There's nothing greater. There is nothing greater. There is nothing the world can afford. It means more than the presence of God. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my body wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule without understanding, whose temper must be curved with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the, in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart.
reading from the Gospel according to St Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and travelled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got back him safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine was yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come alive. He was lost 
and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Hello, my name is Darren Howey. I'm an ex-offender and a recovering addict. I'm also the founding director of Sacred Bean Coffee, a business that works with ex-offenders. I'm passionate about justice, and our text this morning speaks right to the heart of this issue. What an interesting passage it is to read in relation to social justice, in relation to Mother and Sunday, and the pressing need for justice in our world. Chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel is a self-contained parable, and I think it's filled with Jewish imagery, themes of sheep and shepherds, and fathers and sons, and of journeying, and of inheritance. Luke's Gospel as a whole alludes to the story of Abraham quite frequently. I could ignore this and stress that familiar reading, or certainly that I'm familiar with. Well, it's about the wayward choices of humanity, or God's people in contrast to the gracious character of God. It's about God's grace versus human sin. The father is a picture of God. The older son is the Jewish judgmentalist. And the younger son represents, well, us sinners, whose cheese has slidden off our crackers, to quote Brenning Manning. This reading fits well into the theme of justice this morning. I could labour on that theme, but because it's there in the text, and because we're at a time in history when we could all be doing with a fresh baptism in justice and the grace of God. However, I'm not going to do that. Or I could stress that we, we ought to focus on the son's repentance. After all, he did come to his senses, which implies some kind of cognitive shift. However, despite all of us needing to repent daily, I'm not going to do that either. Perhaps the story is not about repentance in the classical sense, or even the grace of God versus human sin. Indeed, what the... What if the father in the passage isn't even alluding to God? Perhaps Jesus is telling a story about what it means to belong to a family under God's covenant with a cheeky nod towards Father Abraham and his sons. Or perhaps it's as much about the inner life of God's people or a reflection on the journey that they go on together as a family longing for justice. What if the passage has more to do with what it takes what takes place in the heart of people prior to justice. The earthly father's extravagant act of love, which is an overflow of his heart. The older son's sense of injustice leaking out onto the pages from his heart, no doubt. This theme of journey and heart surgery is a massive theme within scripture. Justice starts in the heart of humanity. Our capacity one commentator says, to make peace with other, another person and with the world depends on our capacity to make peace with ourselves. You only need a heart full of grace, claims Martin Luther King. Another commentator says, war and peace start in the heart. The scriptures say, out of the heart flows the issues of life. The heart can be deceitful above all things. And so this passage, I think, reflects the dynamics of justice in the complex web of our daily communal lives, in essence, birthed in the heart of people. And I think that's what happened to the younger son in verses 12. In a pigsty, to quote the NRSV, the younger brother comes to himself. It's sort of like coming home in the broadest sense of the word, 
home to ourselves first before we can even be at home with others. You see, when all the props of life are apparently gone, we ask new questions of ourselves and of our world. When the carpet's been ripped out from under our feet, we have to draw from a different well than our material and contemporary idols. When we journey inward, we are, con we are forced to consider how we then might journey back outwards. We examine the heart when the mind can't make sense of its surroundings. When we make that journey, a new normal begins to appear on the horizon of our hearts. It happened to me in the liminal darkness of a prison cell in 2003. Before I went out, I had to go in. It's happening the world over through a global pandemic to Ukraine through war. Where will our help come from when we can't see a future? We are forced to look in as well as look up. The heart is the birthing place of some of the greatest social movements in history. And the journey that folks have, been, have made to get there have been perilous at times. Many of them were birthed in the trenches of traumatic world events. Out of a place of sheer disorientation, the younger brother's justice, his reconciliation, the next leg of his journey, out of this disorientation in this liminal space, only then, when he comes to himself, can he begin to move out of that place. If all he, had, all he did was come to his senses, then he simply changed his mind and went home humbly. The story of Abraham and the command of God by God to go forth in Genesis 12 to make that journey from his liminal place, leaving the old to venture into the new, is very similar. According to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, go forth, and the Hebrew can be interpreted, go to yourself. So it's as much about a journey into the root of your soul and your heart as it is about physical expedition. And so the prodigal son, before he can travel physically back to the father's house, has to travel inwardly. And there's no justice for all until he makes that journey first. Reconciliation is pending. Restoration is paused. Healing for all in the parable is held up until the heart is ready to go there. Abraham delves inwardly first in order to travel towards the promised land. But the disorientation, the liminality, the self-examination are a vital part of that journey home. This coming to yourself is found in the story of Jimmy Boyle, the former Glasgow gangster who spent 18 years brutalised in the Scottish prison system, homeless in the broadest sense of the word. His mother had died recently. He spent 18 months recently in solitary confinement. He was spent contemplating ending his life. The prison system came to the end of itself on how to treat him. Jimmy came to the end of himself, not unlike the prodigal son. And the system didn't know what to do with him. And so in a last-ditch attempt, they sent him to Berlin's special unit, the first therapeutic prison in the UK, where they used first-name terms and, and, and they talked about their problems rather than thought about their problems, where prisoners were involved in the day-to-day -day running of the unit. 
This was an utter shock to Jimmy. He was forced to look deep within himself before he could move forward. Before he would find justice, he had to find justice in his own heart. And it began by a prison guard coming into himself, giving him a parcel and giving him a knife to open his parcel. It rocked his heart. You could see in the film Sense of Freedom this affecting him, the way it arrested his heart and forced him to think about moving forward with his future. You see, justice starts in the heart, in the heart of that prison guard, but also in the heart of Jimmy, in the heart of the prodigal, but also in the heart of Abraham. And the lifeblood of Jimmy's heart transformation would then pump through the veins of that unit. And rehabilitation was born. Reconciliation was instituted, but it began in the heart to finish. In society, where people are so traumatised by life that they turn to drugs and drink and crime and war to survive, we need to come to ourselves again. In a world where parents are estranged from their children through crime and addiction or war or hurts or unforgiveness, we need to come to ourselves again. In a world where rulers cling to power, hell-bent on destruction, they and we need to come to ourselves again to look in as well as look up. That's how we revise the script. At a time when God's beautiful creation screams, I can't breathe. Each of us in our own way need to come to ourselves again and perhaps take the boot off of its neck. In a world of sectarianism, prejudice, racism, sexism, homophobia, whatever you want to add to that, we need to come to ourselves. Because only then, when we come to ourselves, make that difficult journey inward, will we fully love God, love his world, love our neighbours as we strive to love ourselves. And you see, the world will never be transformed unless we are willing and committed to being transformed in the process. And that begins in the heart. We can't be God's ambassadors until we make that journey. It starts in the heart. So God, we pray, lead us graciously to that place where we can truly come home so that we can embrace and establish your justice on the earth. Amen. So let us declare our faith in God. I believe, I believe in, in God. God. The Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Let us pray. The Archbishop's Prayer for Ukraine. God of peace and justice, we pray for all the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the lying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow, that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children at risk and in fear, that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. We hold a moment of quiet for our own prayers. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Loving God, we pray for all refugees, for all those who are fleeing their homes, for those crossing land and sea. And we give thanks for the humanitarian agencies supporting them on the ground and for all those who are able to offer hospitality and welcome of being Christ to the other and seeing Christ in the other. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Loving God, we pray for all those whose lives are impacted by the detrimental effect of climate change and the injustices and inequalities associated with it. We give thanks and pray for all those who are working to change the hearts and minds of those whose actions and attitudes have such a negative effect upon your beautiful creation and all its inhabitants. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Loving God, we pray for those who find themselves homeless, for those who often through no fault of their own find themselves without a roof over their heads sleeping in a doorway or in our tent on our streets. We give thanks and pray for the work of all those agencies who offer support and encouragement for those who see Christ in the other and be Christ to the other. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Loving God, we pray for all those who are struggling with poverty for those who struggle to feed their families, to pay rent or to buy school uniform. We give thanks for our food banks, community wardrobes and all other agencies that offer love and support, who see Christ in the other and be Christ to the other. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Loving God, we pray for all those caught up in human trafficking and modern day slavery. We pray that they may be free from all that entices them and give thanks for those organisations that support and protect them. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Loving God, on this Mothering Sunday, we give thanks for our mothers 
and for all those who may have taken on that role. We remain mindful of those who may be holding grief, hurt or anger this day. And we pray for those women who grieve because they are unable to have the children they so long to hold and to love. And for those who grieve because like Mother Mary, they too have seen their children die. Gracious God, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we finish this service, I just want to share with you a new kind of church service that we've been pioneering in the diocese over the last few years. It's called Ignite. It's a weekday service in many of our churches that focuses on hospitality, welcome, games, fun, and most of all, the gospel of justice and reconciliation, healing and peace. It's often attended by the most marginalized and vulnerable in our society. And this short video explains how its impact has helped our communities. To share my love for God and and, but in a, in a modern way, in a nice way, and in a friendly way. A Sunday wouldn't be a Sunday for me without my radio service in the morning before I leave, my church service here, and then the, the um, follow-up with songs of praise before I go to bed. And then I come to Ignite, I meet other people, and I appreciate the fact that you're putting the Christian edge to the evening and we go home feeling a bit special. The message, the message is quite compact and, and quite, um, quite sort of bite-sized, mm -hmm. but it's easy to understand it and you can take it, take it away and, and think about it for that week. And uh, no, I, re I really am pleased that I've come to Ignite here. Well, Baina has given me confidence over the last year and a half which I've been attending. It's helped me meet new friends in a safe environment. It's helped me get myself confirmed. And it's been a safe place and a halfway point for me to go from nowhere to a church by being in an easy church. And basically it's got me closer to God. It's brought me back to God after quite a long while and it happens at my pace and when I'm thinking about things it feels like prayer and I don't know, people are just so lovely. It was by Ignite that brought me fully to Christianity. I just love by Ignite because of the friendliness, the atmosphere, and I just love it, completely love it. Brilliant. The more it grows, the better. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. From this virtual gathering, we are now sent out into our communities 
and to make connections and encounters with new people. From this experience of repentance and forgiveness, of thanksgiving, adoration and praise, we pray that we might all work together for that day when God's kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth. So as we journey onwards this week, we give thanks for our mothers, for our families, and for our communities. And let us seek to live generously for our neighbours and our environment. For just as God has freely given us the gift of life and of salvation through Christ, so in the power of the Spirit, let us go out into the world to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Christ give you grace to grow in holiness, to deny yourselves, to take up your cross and follow him, and the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and all those whom you love, this day and for evermore. Amen. Amen.